We're going to read from God's Word this morning um, from Exodus chapter 3, uh, words that are familiar to, to many of us here, and we're going to read the, the whole chapter together. Let's listen to God's Word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian." And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out up of, this of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall go not empty. 
but each woman shall give shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the egyptians amen may god bless to us the reading of his holy word passage that many of us will know, especially if we've grown up in church, we will at some point have um, drawn or made or been taught about the Moses and the, the burning bush. Just to set a wee bit of context for us this morning, just in case you don't know um, what's been going on around the, the Moses here and uh, Moses' encounter with this burning bush. The people of Israel end up in Egypt because Joseph... Um, ended up there uh, with uh, part of God's sovereign plan to, to help um, feed, the, feed the world. Uh, and after Joseph has lived there for a while, there's a new king that is now on the scene. Uh, many years had passed, but this king doesn't remember Joseph, and he doesn't remember who Joseph was. And by this point, the Israelites had grown to such a vast number. They were uh, really, really large in number. And the Egyptians were fearful of the people of Israel. So they end up enslaving the people of Israel. And it got so bad for the Israelites, um, it got to the point where actually Pharaoh gave the order that any male child who was born and who was a, a part of the people of Israel, uh, he was to be thrown into the Nile, he was to be killed. And in and amongst all of that, we still see God's hand of protection and a sovereign plan at work where one of the women, the Israelite woman, actually ends up putting her child in a reed basket and putting her child in the Nile. Uh, and the, this child is found by Pharaoh's daughter and he grows up and he, he, he grows up in the palace and he actually becomes a prince of Egypt. And that man, that boy who grew up into a man was Moses. And Moses is one day out walking and he sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating uh, an Israelite. And he hits the Egyptian and the, uh, the Egyptian actually, uh, he dies. And Moses becomes fearful for his life, so he runs away. And while he's running away, he bumps into a woman called Zipporah, who he eventually marries. And he then ends up becoming a shepherd for Zipporah's dad. He ends up looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And that's what we've been reading this morning. That's what he's been doing uh, before he sees this bush that's on fire, um, but is not burning out, is not being consumed, is that he's been looking after his father-in-law's sheep. Moses has been going about his everyday business. He was a shepherd. That's what he did. I'm sure if he was anything like me, he would be a bit of a creature of habit. And he probably had just done the normal stuff he'd done on that specific day. This was just a normal day for Moses. He was going about his daily business. But actually, this day had been earmarked by God. This day was going to be very different and not a normal day for Moses. As he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep, he's leading them um, to new pastures, perhaps, and he sees this sight. He sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Moses, by this point, had been living in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years of looking after sheep. 
And I love how nothing gets lost in God's economy. There's nothing that we go through in life that God can't use in his kingdom. It might be a really hard trial, a really bad thing that happens to us, but it's not going to be lost because God can use it for his glory. Perhaps in these 40 years, Moses, by looking after his father-in-law's sheep, God was preparing him to be the shepherd of his people. He looked after the sheep in the natural for perhaps nearly close to 40 years. And now God had earmarked this day where what Moses shepherd, what Moses would shepherd would be changing from the flock of his father-in-law to the flock of God's people, the people of Israel. Why am I saying that? Well, friends, we need to trust God's timing. We need to trust his plan. I've heard so many people, and I've said it myself, that I'm not going to count these last two years of my age because, hey, I've not really got to do anything. So I'm not actually turning 30 this year. I'm still 28. And maybe you want to adopt that as well if you feel that you're getting on in life. Just minus two off your age because the last two years don't really count. And we, we joke about that and we jest, but I think sometimes that actually starts to creep into how we perceive church and, and what's been happening. That actually, maybe we feel that nothing's happened in the last two years. Well, I'd say to the contrary. What's God been doing? Why have we gone through this last two years? What can he use for the advancement of his kingdom and for his glory in our community? I don't know. But I pray in time we find out. The majority of our time this morning, we're going to look at verses 13 and 15, where God reveals to Moses uh, his, his name. But before we do that, there's a few points I, I want to pull out. Because one of the things we've seen while we looked at the names of God, we've seen this character who has been present around a lot of them. We read in verse 2 of chapter 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. The angel of the Lord. We've seen the angel of the Lord uh, active and, and work throughout um, uh, the pages. And we've given all of his time to looking at the angel of the Lord. And there's been a few big words that I've used. One of them has been typology, where we see uh, something happen in the Old Testament that actually reminds us or points forward to Jesus. So we, we've spoke about how Moses would go and actually be, be the deliverer. He would deliver God's people from slavery into a land that is free. And we see that that's actually a type of Christ. It's typology. It's something that's happening in the natural that was pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah all those years later. We looked at Christophany where we saw a pre-incarnate Christ active and at work within the Old Testament. Well, this morning what we have with the burning bush is what we call in theology a theophany, an appearance of God. That's exactly what this is. God appears to Moses through a bush that's on fire, but the bush is not being consumed. Moses encounters a supernatural moment where he sees a bush on fire, and then as he turns his attention towards it, God speaks to him out of it. Now, a wee bit of 
speculation, so please do forgive me. But if the wilderness where Moses was working and walking and shepherding was anything like the moors of Stornoway, and Stornoway is a lot more um, damp and wet where Moses would have been, we see moor fire just happen. Could be a bit of glass on the moor and the heat of the sun and the heat of the day and the dryness of the heather it can just spark a fire so a bit of speculation i'm sure moses would probably have seen the odd little fire here and there through the dryness of of bushes and the heat where he would have been but this bush he saw there was something different about it it wasn't being consumed. It was burning, but it wasn't burning out. It just kept on going. It was a constant burning that was happening. And I wonder, do we have the awareness of Moses in this day and age? Do we see God at work in the everyday things? Things that we just expect, the things we just think are going to happen. Do we see God at work in them? Because often he is at work. But we just don't have the eyes to see him. We just don't hear. We just don't see. We just don't understand. Maybe we just don't ex expect him to be at work in the everyday things. Are we too busy in our day-to-day -day life to see God working in the ordinary? Yes, God moves in extraordinary ways. But thanks be to God that he also works in just the ordinary, everyday things. Moses could have thought, that bush is on fire but I've got to get these sheep to where I need to get them. I need to go and water them. I need to get them fed. If I don't, maybe my father-in-law is going to deduct some pay from me. You know, lunch might be on. There could be a million and one reasons why Moses could have looked at it, seen it, and just carried on going, but he doesn't. God, give us eyes to see where you are at work in our midst. And isn't it interesting that it isn't until Moses turns towards the bush and causes his attention to be on it that God calls his name from it. Verse 4. I will turn aside to see this site why the bush is not burned. And it's at that moment the Lord calls to Moses. I'm sure every man, woman, child and their dog would have turned their attention to a bush that was speaking to them. But Moses, he sees this and he goes, there's something different about this. What's happening? And he turns his focus on it and it's then that God calls his name. And God calls his name. Isn't it interesting how God often works like that? Is that not how faith often works though? That we need to step out of the boat first. I remember when We'd first had Joel and Becca had been working um, full-time in a bridal shop. And, uh, and I was going through my placements and living on, we were effectively living on Becca's uh, little wage. And um, it got to the point where Becca needed to go back to, to work. The maternity period had come to an end. And we, we sat down and we, we spoke about it. And, and Becca said, I just don't want to go back to work. I just want to be a mum. And... I said, well, is that what God's calling you to do? And we prayed about it. And we really felt that it was, that, that her time in the bridal shop had come to an end. And it was time for her to, to just be a stay-at-home mom. And that's what she wanted to do. But also to be a support to me as I was going into ministry. 
but we were living on her wage. So what did we do? Well, we decided, God, if that's what you're calling us to do, that's what we do. So she told her boss that she wasn't coming back. Some might call it foolish. Others would call it faith. The very next day, a check came in from the Church of Scotland that covered five months of Becca's wage. And up to that five months, I would then start probation, which would cover Becca's wage and more. It was unbelievable. But it wasn't until we stepped out of the boat that we saw God's hand of provision. It wasn't until Moses turned his attention onto this burning bush until God called his name, Moses, Moses. And what I love is that in this ancient Semitic culture, repeating someone's name twice was, uh, was a sign of endearment. It was a sign of affection. So although this might have been a strange encounter for Moses, with his name being called twice, it would, have, it would have settled him a little bit. The one who was calling him, although he might not have a clue what was going on, the one who was calling him was doing so with affection. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. I wonder what this morning our metaphorical sandals are that we need to take off as a church what are the things we need to put down because actually we're standing on holy ground because God is in our midst there would be a time where Moses would get to look upon God's face where he would get to see the glory of God but not here not now not yet God was preparing Moses at this point Moses don't come any closer Take your sandals off where you're standing is holy. God is teaching Moses who he is. Not Moses, but who God is himself. And that's why we see God reveal his name. I'm Yahweh. I am who I am. Friends, one of the biggest problems we have in this day and this age is that people don't know their identity anymore. We are going through an identity crisis. People are struggling so much. They don't have a clue. They're getting tossed about with every wind of doctrine and every thought of the day. They're lost. They're broken. So much so, we have people even changing their gender nowadays because they don't know who they are. You want to know who you are? You need to learn who he is. It starts with learning who he is and understanding who our God is. That he is Jehovah Jireh. That he is El Shaddai. That he is Yahweh. That he's El Roy. That he's all of these things and more. Because your identity is not found in yourself, but it's found in him. That's what God would respond to Moses. And Moses asked this question, God, but who am I? Who am I to go and tell them? And God doesn't big up Moses. He doesn't say, well, you're great at this. You're good at doing these things. God's response is, I'll be with you. That's your identity. It's found in me, your Lord and your God. It's not found 
in what you do. It's not found in your giftings. It's not even found in how you serve him. It's found in him and him alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Friends, you're made in his image. You're made in his image and you want to know your value this morning? Begin to ponder the cost he paid for you to purchase your soul. He sent his son to the cross of Calvary. So don't go looking out there for value, for worth, for what people say you are and who you are. Come to Scripture. Search it. Ponder it. Understand who our God is and and how majestic he is. And then actually as we're going to see that he wants you. Because he loves you. And God reveals to Moses, I'm the God of the generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of the covenant. And it's crucial we hold on to that because we see that God has a history. Our God has a history. He's the God of covenant. But as well as being the God of history, he's the God of the present. And he's the God of all our tomorrows. Because he's the great I am. And he always will be. He's unchanging. He never changes. And we see even very briefly. We see in verse 7. We see that even throughout all these things. God has been revealing. All the names that we've already looked at this morning. Over the last few weeks. And just one of them that we'll very briefly talk about. Verse 7, I've seen the afflictions of my people. He was Elroy then with Hagar. He's Elroy here with Moses. And he's still Elroy. He still sees our afflictions. He sees the afflictions of Ukraine and Russia. He sees the afflictions of your soul and the distress that you're in. And he'll do something about it because he's El Shaddai and he's all powerful and he can And he's the God who provides. And he provides Moses to go and relieve this pressure and bring redemption to his people out of slavery into a freedom. And Moses basically says, well, God, who am I to go and do all these things for you? How in the world am I meant to do this? God, how can I prove I have the authority to say what I'm going to say? Then God reveals in verse 14... God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses has been asking the questions, he's been pushing back, God, I can't do this. And even if I go, what if they say, well, who has sent you? And God's response is, I am who I am. I am who I am. And this name is the name Yahweh. It's how we translate, I am who I am. He's Yahweh. And this name Yahweh appears more than 6,800 times. And it's the personal name for God. And we see God say that later on in the verses that we've read. I want to be remembered by this name throughout all the generations. This is his personal name. And in some ways you could say that all the other names that we looked at are, are, are more like titles. And this is God's actual personal name. 
You might think, well, I've never seen the name Yahweh in my pages of Scripture. As I've read the Bible, I've never seen the word Yahweh present. Well, we've already looked at it over the last few weeks. I've already read it in our passage this morning when we talked about the angel of the Lord. Whenever we see L-O-R-D in capital letters, that's what it's translating is the name Yahweh. So whenever you see Lord in capital letters, that's the personal name of God that's being used. I am who I am, Yahweh. And it was such a a holy and sacred name that in Jewish tradition, they wouldn't even pronounce it. They wouldn't speak it. Because it was so personal to God that actually they began to substitute the name Yahweh with the name Adonai. Which is another way of rendering the word Lord. Capital L, small O, small R, small D. But whenever we see L-O-R-D in capitals, that's the name that's been translated here is the name of Yahweh. And the names that we've looked at, we've, we've learned something about who God is, about his character. And it's the same here with this name, Yahweh. This personal name. What do we learn from this personal name? Scholars have spent many, many years debating us and, 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 and trying to understand, because within the original language, it's pretty difficult, the way that the verbs and everything are placed. But let me just really simplify it down this morning for us. Not because I don't think that you can't take it, but it's because I don't think I can teach it. So we're going to really simplify it down this morning. And, And what this name shows us in the very simplest of ways is God's self existence. His self existence. I am who I am. Maybe the most fundamental difference between God and all of creation, from which His holiness and His providence and His majesty and His superiority flow from, is that God alone is self existent. Everything else in this world has a beginning and has an end. Everything else in this world is created apart from the creator. He is self-existence. And what that means is he does not depend on anyone or anything else. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. Friends, we are so fragile. We depend on so much to exist. Oxygen, food, light, water, gravity. Take some of those things away. What happens? We're gone. We're done. We die. But God does not depend on anything to exist. He is self-existent. He is the great I am. I am who I am. And what this means is that God absolutely is. He absolutely is. One commentator speaks about, uh, with I am who I am, what he speaks about this, he, he says that this speaks of the isness of God. The isness of God. That meaning, our God, no matter when and where, just is. He is always present, He is always all powerful, He is always sovereign. He is always creator. He is always sustainer. He just is. 
He's always in control. He is always the name above all names. So it doesn't matter where you go or when you go, he is. He goes before you. He's hemming you in behind. He's walking alongside, holding your hand. He always is. And perhaps that's why he says to Moses, when Moses asks this question, God, how can I go and do this? Moses, I am. I I, I am. I'm there. I've already gone before you. I've already told you what's going to happen. I'm the great I am. And in the Hebrew, all tenses are found in I am who I am. Past, present, and future. They're all found in this phrase. This points to the eternalness of God. Someone once said that there's nothing permanent except change. There's nothing permanent except change. And maybe in a human temporal sense, there might be some sort of philosophical truth in that. When we see in our day-to-day human lives that actually things change, things are different now than they were 10 years ago. But not when it comes to God. He absolutely is. He is the great I am. How can church look so different over all the years and still preach from the same book? Our styles of worship change and differ. They'll be different in 10 years' time than they are now. But the one we praise is always the same. Isn't that amazing? And I know that there's people who struggle with change that's happened in such a short space of time. But what I say to that, and I pray it alleviates some of your fears and concerns The God we worship is still the same. He never changes. He's always constant. Is he not the God in whom we live and move and have our being? And this name is a personal name that God uses. This is his personal name. And what what does that mean? In the most simplest of ways, Although he is so otherly and so majestic and so set apart, our God is not impersonal. And he reveals himself to this world through his inspired word and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his direct representation. And God has a name and he has a history. That's why he points to the covenants that he's established But he also shows to Moses here that I'm personal. I'm with you. I'm unchanging. And he reveals himself to Moses by this special name that he's always to be remembered. Yahweh, I am who I am. And what blows my mind, friends, he has no need of us. God doesn't need you. He's self-existent. But God wants you. He doesn't need you. But he wants you. Because he's personal. And he's revealed himself to us. Isn't that mind-blowing? He doesn't need us. 
Thank the Lord you don't need me. It's not dependent upon me. But Jesus, thank you that you loved me so much that you went to the cross of Calvary for me. Because you're personal. And whenever Yahweh is used, most of the times, it's always used within this relational context. God relating to his people. He's self-existent. He doesn't need any of us. But because he's personal, he wants us. And because he's personal, he's relational. And if he wasn't relational, there would be no grace, there'd be no mercy, there'd be no redemption. But even in how a redemption is achieved, he's still self-existent. He does it all by himself. It's his hand, it's his son, it's his way. Salvation belongs unto him. He doesn't even depend on us for salvation. But because he's relational, he gives it to us as a gift. Even in how he relates to his people, he's still self-existent. He is still the great I am. <laughs> Even within that, we just see that beautiful glimpse again into Jehovah Jireh. The Lord sees before himself the lamb for the sacrifice. Why? Because I am who I am. He has no need of us. But the beauty of the gospel is he wants you. So much so, he went to the cross of Calvary for you. He is so personal that nails went through his hands. A whip went through his back. He was spat at. He was beaten. He was mocked. That's how relational he is. That's how merciful he is. And that is who our God is. He's the one who depends on no one else. He does not need. And do you know what's amazing about that? We can then say, I shall not want. He does not slumber nor sleep. Do you know what's amazing about that? We can rest and know peace. He's the one who holds all of our tomorrows. And in him we can face life with confidence. Because he's already there. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. I am who I am, he says. Her God is Yahweh. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at you. We marvel at who you are. Lord, that you depend on no one. Lord, this whole world depends upon you. Lord, kingdoms rise and fall at your word. Salvation is birthed when you call a sinner's name. Lord, we depend on you. 
You are the great I am. You're the one who is. We thank you that you have a history. We thank you for your redemptive history, for your covenants, for your promise to your people throughout the world and throughout time. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Lord, this day we once again we come back to the foot of the cross and thank you that our salvation depends on you and you alone because you are the great I am. Father, would you give us the confidence to trust in you even when we don't see you at work. Help us to know that you are there and that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. Father, may we face tomorrow with confidence, knowing that you go before us, you hem us in, and you walk beside us. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.